Uh, we'll read one verse together, uh, but we're really going to be all over the place in the book of Proverbs this morning. But let's start in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 10. Proverbs chapter 27, let's start in verse 10. not going to be on the screen, and so there, if, uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one right around you in your pew, and so you could find one there um, this morning. So go ahead and stand with me. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 10, uh, just stand for the reading of God's Word, just to give honor. Man, just how privileged we are, just think about how privileged we are that God would give us His Word, uh, that we could take it and use it and apply it to our lives to make us more like Him. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 10. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. And do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor, better is a friend who is near than a brother who is far away. Father, thank you for this time that we have to just uh, spend together looking at your word. And Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would use your word to penetrate our hearts. Lord, may we be more like Christ as a result of spending time together with you this day. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How many of you guys are planning on planting a garden this year, or you have already planted a garden? Let me see your hand. A couple plants, that'll work. Have you ever thought about the preparation that goes into planting a garden? Yeah, one of the first things you have to do is you have to pick out a good spot, right? It's not going to do you any good to plant a garden up underneath a bunch of shade trees, right? Because in order for your plants to produce fruit or vegetables, what do they need? They've got to have a sunlight. And, and then if you're like doing a full-fledged garden where, where you know, you've got to break up the ground, you've got to go and, and do that, right? You've got to either take a tiller or a disc or something and, and go and, and plow the ground and turn it over. Get rid of all those weeds because if you've got a bunch of weeds in your garden, what's going to happen? It's going to choke out all of the good, all the good nutrients that are in the soil, and it's going to keep the plants from producing the fruit in their life. And then, once you get your plants planted, you've got to do things like water them. You've got to provide the fertilizer. Sometimes you might have to do a little bit of manual labor and get that, you know, that that machine we call a hose, and, and go out there and do a little bit of manual labor to keep the weeds out of that. But you know, you know the one thing you cannot do in, in growing a garden? I don't care how hard you try, you can't do this right now. Eddie, you got a green thumb, you can't do it. You can't make a single piece of that plant grow. You can't. Because it is within that plant that's what's going to cause it to grow. All, the, all that you do is you provide the right environment. You provide the right conditions. You provide the right soil for that plant to do what it was designed to do. Does that make sense? Now, in the same way, we're in the study in the book of Proverbs, and we're talking about being wise in our life. We want to be people that, that have wisdom, that walk with the wisdom that God has, has given to us. And in order for us to do that, it's kind of like the garden. We can't make ourselves wise, but we can place ourselves in the optimal position in order for the Father to grant us wisdom. 
And we began that. We began by trying to define wisdom and thinking about wisdom as more of a path that we walk than a door that we walk through. But we first began looking at humility. You with me? If you do not have humility in our in your life, you'll never be a person that walks in wisdom. Humility literally is the soil upon which everything else grows in your life. You've got to have humility. If you've got a prideful spirit, you'll, you'll never be a, a very wise person. Then last week we looked at this idea of our speech. Solomon in, in the book of Proverbs talks more about our speech than any other topic than we find in the Scripture. You've got to have a person who, who speaks life in a situation. And then here's the topic that we're coming to this morning. We, we're thinking about this idea of having friends. Uh, how many of you have a Facebook account? Most of us have Facebook accounts. I've got over a thousand people uh, on, on my, uh, that's considered my Facebook friend. Okay? A thousand people. Some of those people, if they walked in that back door right there, I wouldn't know who they are. I mean, just being honest. It's like seventh and eighth generation cousins. You know, you're like, hey, I think my great-grandma was kin to your great-grandma, so let's be friends on Facebook. And, and then you, you've got the people that you were friends with in elementary school that, that I hadn't seen in <clears throat> 30 years. 30 years. But hey, I remember their name in elementary school. So we were friends on Facebook. Are they my real friends? No, you guys realize that. They're, they're not my real friends. But this morning, I want, to make, I want to make four statements about our friends. And the last two of those statements, I'm going to try to, to paint you a picture of what a real friend is. And so let me make these two statements. And, and, and I think these will be very beneficial in just helping us just to understand this idea of friendship. Here's statement number one. Friends shape who we are. Write that down. Friends shape who we are. If, you, if you're in Proverbs uh, 28, go to Proverbs 13. Look in verse 20, and here's what you find. Proverbs 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with wise men becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I've heard this said, I don't know how many times I've heard it. You've probably heard it too. It's not anything that's going to be earth-shattering. But the truth of what Proverbs 13 is teaching us is that your friends shape who you become. Now, that could be either good or that could be bad. Whoever you surround yourself with, with your friends, that is a picture of who you are. And if it's not a picture of who you are, it is a picture of who you are going to become. So think about it this way. If you have friends that believe in Jesus, that they go to church every once in a while, but they never really focus on their walk with Jesus, they have no consistent prayer time, no consistent Bible study time, then more than likely, the odds are that you're going to live that kind of lifestyle as a follower of Jesus because that's the people that you've surrounded yourself with. If you have friends who want nothing to do with Jesus or the church, you might be here this morning because somebody made you come, but it's only a matter of time before you leave and never return. You become what your friends are. And then finally, if you, if you have friends, and these are people that you really spend time with, if you have friends that they are really committed to their walk with Jesus, uh, they spend time consistently with Jesus in His Word, they spend time praying, then the likelihood of you becoming a person who is very serious about their walk with Jesus, it increases exponentially because you surround yourself with people who are wise. Now, now why is that? Well, sociologists tell us that there is such a deep need within us. You, you with me? There's a, such a deep need within us to, to find acceptance and to fit in with others 
that we'll, we'll almost do anything of what our friends do because we want to have friends. We want to fit in. Have y'all ever seen these TV shows? I read about this. I've seen TV shows like this, but I haven't seen these particular episodes, but I did read about them. And if I read about them and they were funny, I can't help but pass it along to you guys. Uh, these shows where they prank people. Y'all have seen shows where, where they prank people. Where, this was a, a prank where uh, they just tried to see if, if people who were, you know, the, the guy who was getting uh, pranked, if, if they would follow along with what everybody else was doing around them. And so this one guy, he gets on an elevator. He gets on an elevator, you know, when you walk through the doors of an elevator, uh, you walk in and kind of turn around and you face the doors because you got to get back out that way, that way, right? And so this guy was being punked. He was being pranked. So he walks in, he's facing the doors. Well, everybody else, they get on floor by floor. And so this first guy walks in and he faces the back of the, of the elevator. And then it stops on the next floor. The guy walks in, faces the back of the elevator. After about the fourth or fifth guy gets in and faces the back of the elevator, guess what the first guy does? He turns around. He, he knows he's got to get out that way, but he, he just doesn't want to. He want, he doesn't want to be different. This is hilarious. I can't believe somebody would do this. A guy walks in a doctor's office, and he sits down and waits in the waiting room. Person comes in, sits down, and and they get undressed down to the underwear. The next person gets in, gets undressed down to the underwear. After about the fourth or fifth time, this guy who knows he don't need to, guess what he does? He undresses down to his underwear. I mean, seriously. Uh, how, how great is your, your need to want to fit in? And, and we've got this. And so when we surround ourselves with people who are not going to be really, you know, instrumental in helping us in our walk with Jesus, if we're not careful, just because we want to fit in with them, we're going to do some of the same stupid, idiotic things that they do because we want to be like them. We want to be a part of a certain group of people. And so right now, every single one of us, we are being heavily influenced by the people that are around us. Now think about it. When we were children, who influenced us more than anybody else? Our parents, grandparents, whoever it was that was instrumental in bringing us up. that's That's who really shaped us. When you become teenagers and adults, it is your friendships, it is your relationships that you have with people who are around you that influence you more than anything else. Andy Stanley said it this way, and, and I wish I would have put the, the picture on the screen. Andy Stanley said, you've got three circles, three circles of friends in your life. He said in, in that first circle, that inner circle, he says, these are the people that you're very intimate with. They know everything there is about you. It, it, Maybe your spouse or your fiancé or, or somebody that you really love. Maybe it's your parents. And they know everything there is to know about you, good or bad, they know. He said beyond that, the next circle is, is what he calls a circle of influence. And these are the people that you let into your life that you let them speak influence over you. You may have the opportunity to influence them, but they really influence your every everyday decision. And he said, and then that third circle, it's, it's a circle of concern. It's those people that you kind of keep at a distance. You're not mean to them because as followers of Christ, we never have that opportunity to be mean. We, we never are that. But we're concerned about them. We, we, we maybe not, we don't trust them. We're concerned about where they spend eternity. Andy Stanley made this comment. And I think he's right on target. He said, where most people get in trouble in their friendships, he said, most people take people who should be in a circle of concern 
and they allow them into a circle of influence. You can mark it down. Almost everybody who, who gets away from the faith, you can look at their relationships. People that, that, that should be a people of concern, friend of concern, they've allowed them into a place of influence into their life, and it has caused them to, to fall and some to pass. Okay? So the people you surround yourself with will shape the person you are to become. And so here's the second thing. You both discover and choose your friends. C.S. Lewis. Um, you know, we quote C.S. Lewis all the time. He wrote an article on friendship uh, many, many years ago, and he, he compared friendship to two people that are having a conversation. Like, you know, me and me and Roger just meet, and we begin to have a conversation. And, and Roger starts talking about um, football. I'm like, man, you like football? Me too. I, I thought I was the only person in the world who liked football. And, and you see what happens? We, we begin to have this conversation because we, we, we have this conversation. We discover something that we have some of the same interest, and that just piques our interest in one another. And it's friendship. It is developed in something like that. And so, you know, if you were to think about the, the, the relationships that you have, it, it's almost always. You discover something about that person and you've got that same kind of idea in your own life and it begins to spark and you have got these natural affinities and and it just blossoms from there. But on the other hand, you choose your friends too. Proverbs chapter 27 that we looked at earlier. It says it's better to have a friend nearby than a brother far away. And the implication there is that a friend that is close will always be there to help you when a brother that is far away simply doesn't have the opportunity to help. But think about family versus friends for just a moment. Almost always. Unless there has been a falling out in your family, and that happens from time to time, your family's going to have your back no matter what. Right? I mean, you could be, you know, 100 miles away from your brothers or sisters, and if something were to happen... And even if, even if they didn't really like you a whole lot, your, your brothers and sisters would be there for you. But, and now think about your friends for just a moment. Your family's your family. Did any of you get to choose your families? Yeah, I didn't get to choose my mom and dad. I didn't get to choose my brothers and sisters. But I get to choose my friends. And my friends get to choose me. And so when I'm going through a tough time and a friend shows up, they're not there because they have to be. They're there because they choose to be. And that speaks volumes about how much they care about you in your personal life. You, you, you get to choose your friends. Think about it. Think about when you're going through a tough time or even a time of rejoicing. Those people who show up with you to celebrate or or even are, are there to, to help you through that tough time, those are the people that you can depend upon the most. Okay? All right, so we both choose and, and what's the word I have up there? You discover and choose your friends. Friends shape who we are. Now, let me see if I can't paint a picture of, of what a true friend is, okay? Here, here's, here's a good statement. A real friend is dependent. It's somebody that you can count on. It's somebody that he was, who is consistently there for you. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. It's going to be on the screen. Proverbs 17, 17 says that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. You'll notice the next statement. This is the one we quoted earlier. 
But do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. Do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. It's better to have a friend who is near than a brother who is far away. Dependable friends is a person that is going to be there at all times. When trials come, he's going to be there. When there's a time to rejoice, a friend's going to be there. When it's just life, going through the motions, a real friend is going to be there. Now, why are they always there? Because they're real. They're genuine. They, they truly care about you. Think about it this way. In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 4, it says that wealth, money, finances, it, it brings many friends. But they are, are they true friends? No. Y- y'all know me. I love sports. I, especially, I, I love football. I love college football. And so when the NFL draft comes around, I, I like to watch it. Now, many of those guys that were uh, drafted Thursday night in the first round, they're multimillionaires just right off the bat. You, you know what, their, their coaches and the NFL, the teams that drafted them, their coaches and the NFL, you know what they, they are harping into their minds right now? Son, you better be careful who you put around you. Because there's going to be some men and women that want to ride your coattails and get everything they can from you. And they're going to they're tell you every single thing you want to hear, but they're not looking out for your best interest. They just want to get the things that they can get from you. They're not real friends. When the money that you make is no longer there, they're no longer going to be there for you. They say Alan Iverson's in that situation today. Wealth will bring many friends. Don't be be fooled by those people who just try to to take from you the things that they want to get. Real friends are there for you you because they genuinely care about you, especially when you're struggling. C.S. Lewis said that when you go through pain, it's not theological reasoning, it's not biblical, quoting the scriptures, it's going to minister to somebody, it's going to be the slightest touch of human sympathy. You know what a dependable, a dependable friend will do for you? They'll tell you the truth. Even if, even if it's not what you want to hear. A person who is fake in your life, will tell you exactly what you want to hear just because they don't really care that much about you. We talked about this last week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but think about it this way. The person who says they're your friend, but they see you walking down a road to destruction, and they simply say, that's none of my business, I don't want to judge them. You've said you don't really consider that person a real friend because a real friend is dependable enough to tell us the truth even when it hurts. Now let me ask you a question. Do you have friends like that? Here's, a, here's an even better question. Are you that type of friend? Because when we, it's a natural tendency. When we talk about this idea of real friends, I guarantee you, you know what most of you are doing right now? You're evaluating the friends that you think you have. Does so-and-so really treat me that way? Is so-and-so like that for me? Here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to ask yourself if you're that Are you that person that is dependent? Are you that person that, that, that really wants to speak life into the people that you, you hang around? Here's the last thing. Y'all might get out before 12. And everybody said, uh, I thought y'all were going to say, I want to stay until 12, 15. This is so good. If you've got real friends in your life, you know what they do? They make you better. Real friends make you better. Your friendship really is a forsaken art in our culture. 
somebody stated in my studies this week that we've started treating our friends like commodities. You know what you know what we do? I'll, I'll be your friend as long as I can get something from you. But the minute I can no longer get anything from you, and I, I have no need of you, then we're not friends anymore. We'll be friends as long as somebody's providing a service to us. We want our friends for what they can do for us, what we can gain from them, but when we don't have that, we move on to other people. And the problem with that is that God has designed his people to have friends. In fact, John 17 and verse 21, Jesus prayed that the church might be one, that there might be unity in the church, just as there is unity within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. You see, there has always been this idea that there is unity within the Godhead, and before Jesus, I mean, literally, we're talking about the last days of Jesus' life. And before he gives his life, he prays, Father, make my followers one as we are one. He wants them, he wants our friendship to mirror that of the Trinity. God is a relational God. There's always been perfect unity there, and our friendship is to model that that we see within the Godhead. So in other words, here's what we could say. Jesus died. He shed his blood so that we could model friendship to the rest of the world. He died so that we could have friends. Now, let very quickly, let me mention three areas of this idea of friends. First of all, he died so that we could be friends with him. you know that the scripture says that you can be a friend of God? Literally, the Bible speaks of Jesus calling his followers friends. The God of heaven and earth shed his blood so that we could be redeemed and we could be called his friends. I shared this, I've shared this a couple of times this morning. For some of you in this room this morning, here's how you need to respond to this. You've never made Jesus Christ your friend. And here's how you can tell that. You know what you do in your life? You go from person to person to person to person. That's what happens. You know why? Because you're so needy. Because you are a sinner. Because there's this big hole in your life. You recognize that there's a void there. And that you've got to have something to fill that void. But instead of looking to Jesus to fill that void, what you've done is, is you go to this person. And this works for a little while, but then it, it just kind of gets mundane. And so you leave that person, you go to the next person. And that, and that, and that, you know, that works for a little while, and, and then you get to this idea, well, that's not working anymore, so let me go to the next person. And you just go from person to person to person. And what Jesus says, until you find your meaning, until you find your significance, until you find your purpose in this relationship with me, and I become your best friend, you're always going to go from purpose from person to person to person. You've got to come to understand that Jesus Christ is the greatest friend that you'll ever have in your life. And until you become friends with him, you'll never be the friend that anybody needs in their life. You've got to be friends with him. He shed his blood so that we could do that. Secondly, we need friends because Jesus knows the sinfulness of our own hearts. Have y'all ever been riding down the road? Like maybe out here on Highway 11. 
and you're in the right-hand lane, and you put your blinker on, and you look in your rearview mirror, you don't see anybody, so you begin to get over, and all of a sudden you hear somebody lay on the horn. What, what's happening? A blind spot. There, there was somebody in your blind spot that you couldn't see. Do you know that you've got blind spots in your spiritual life? You've got some blind spots. You, you can't see them. You say, well, preacher, I don't think I have any. Why do you think they call them blind spots? Because you can't see them. Well, how am I going to figure them out? Find you a godly friend that's going to tell you the truth. Find you, find you somebody who's, who's going to be more concerned about your walk with Jesus than anything else. Because when, when you find that person, that person's not going to come and beat you over the head with the Scriptures and say, man, uh, you, you're a sorry, no good heathen. Here's, here's what I see happening in your life. No, that's not going to happen. You know what's going to happen? You're going to come up and say, hey, Jimmy. Jimmy, you know I love you. Here's what I... Here's what I see going on in your life. It might be nothing. It might be something to it. And so, Junior, I, I see this going on. I, I think you just need to be aware of it. It's not vindictive. It's not berating him. It's not tearing him down. But if somebody that cares enough about him says, hey, you're not going to affect this. Here's where I see you. If you're not humble enough to have that type of friend in your life, blind you know, you know what else? When you think about humility that you've got to have when it comes to friendships, it means that you've got to be real enough, that you've got to be vulnerable and transparent enough that you share your, your concerns with that person. Every single one of us has, has them, right? We've got problems we deal with. And then here's the other thing. You've got to be afraid to be blind. Because there's going to be times that you open yourself up and you become real, real with somebody, they burn you. It's going to hurt. It really does. And if you and if you ever get burnt, your, your natural tendency is going to be to clam up. Well, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not. I'm not going to offer myself my friendship to anybody else because it hurts. And you're blind spot because you don't want to be that friend. Last thing, you know why you need friends? You can't faithfully serve Jesus without having friends to administer the gifts. You know, there's over 58 times in the New Testament that the, that the Bible speaks of one another. Love one another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Think of one another better than the way you think of yourself. Serve one another. You see, we, we have this idea that, you know what? Man, as long as I'm not mean to Dan, I'm loving Love is an action. Love is a verb. Every time, most of the time you think about love in the New Testament, it's not this idea that I've got this emotional feeling about somebody. It's this idea that I'm doing something for someone else. And for most people, the only people you ever think about you love is your family. Can I be honest with you? If the only people that you love is your family, what is that? I mean, I don't have to work to love Joshua. I mean, when Joshua was in Leanne's womb, I had an immediate desire to give him everything that I had. I don't have to work to love Leanne. She has to work to love me, but I don't have to work to love her. It's my family. I mean, you know what the scriptures say about love? 
all you do is love those who love you, what more is that than the rock? You've got to love people who are not like you. You've got to be willing to love your people. That means getting out there and doing something. So as I begin to pray, Lord, how do we respond to this idea of real friends? I think the Lord gave, gave, gave me three areas where I think we should respond and apply this. Number one, some of you are here this morning, and here's what the greatest need of your life is. Jesus needs to come today. You know, you're the person that goes from relationship to relationship to relationship, and, and you never really find it emotional and uh, uh, spiritual fulfillment because you're trying to get something from someone that you can only get from Jesus. Well, you say, well, how do I do that? You make Jesus Lord of your life. I'm not talking about just praying a prayer. I'm talking about fully surrendering everything that you have to Jesus. When you do that, Jesus says, you're no longer a servant. You're, you're no longer like a second-class citizen. You're friend. You're my friend. In fact, he says, you're family. You become adopted into his family. You become a child of the Father. So the way you, the way you respond is, uh, you just when we stand up and sing, you come forward, preacher, today, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I'm tired of playing. I want Jesus to be my hero. But now, secondly, here, here's, here's where some of you are. Remember those three circles I talked about? Some of you, you've got circles, you've got people in your life that should be in a circle of concern that you've allowed into the circle of influence. You've got people in your life that you need to push out to the circle of concern. I'm not saying not be their friend. I'm not saying cut them off from all contact. I'm saying that you, you've got to put a, a bridge there, a, a separation there, to where they're not influencing you. I've shared this story before. You know that when I when I came to faith in Jesus in October of 2001, I struggled with alcohol, I struggled with drug addiction. I had a lot of friends at that at that time that you know same way. I remember a few weeks after I came to faith in Jesus on a Friday night, I went to see my best friend Sam. I mean, we we were we were thick. We were I mean we were friends. Uh, he came and offered. He gave me fifteen hundred dollars on a whim one Saturday morning. Not many people do that for, you know, people who are 20 years old, right? So I went by Sammy's house. Sammy's house was the, was the spot where everybody hung out, right? So I go to Sammy's house. You get there, you know, it's just the norm. People are you know, outside drinking, drugging, and then they break out hard drugs. And I'm like, you know what? I can't be here. If I'm going to be the man that God's called me to be as a follower of Christ, I've got to put up a separation between me and him. Does that mean I didn't love him? No, I still love him today. But I, I've had to put a separation there if I'm going to be something that God wants to do. And that's where some of you are today. You've got the friends who are in the wrong spot in your life. Friends dictate who you become, and you've got to put better people at your circle of influence. And then finally, remember I asked you if, uh, if you were that type of friend. Are you the person that's dependent on? Or are you being the person that's got to be that um, that loves one another? Are you being the person that speaks life to somebody else? The King James translates translate Proverbs 18, 18. I think it's Proverbs 18, 18. A friend must himself be saved. Are you that type of person? If not, maybe the reason you don't have the, the right circle of influence you is that you have been the person 
that needs to be addressed. Why don't you pray with me? Our musicians, go ahead and come on up. Father, thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy, Lord. We, we have a tendency, Lord, to do things that are selfish, to do things that are just right for, for us and not for good or others. But Lord, today, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice. And Lord, I, I guess my heart thinks about those who you're probably here this morning and thinking, man, I just wish I had a good for you. So Lord, I, I, I pray for that person right now in Jesus' name. That you would provide a godly thing for them. And Lord, until that time, Lord, I pray that Jesus would be everything that they need right now. That he would bring all the emotional, all the spiritual, every bit of fulfillment that they need in their life. And Lord, as we lift up and magnify the name of Jesus Lord during this invitation. Lord, I pray that, Lord, if there's people here who've not really made Jesus their best friend, they've never really surrendered their life to Him, Lord, today, today they do. Lord, give wisdom, courage, strength to that person who needs to separate from people who are infinite. Father, you move during this time. Lord, would you be glorified? In Jesus' name, I pray. Hey, if the Father's been speaking to your heart, you know you need to respond. You have the boldness, you have the courage, you come as the Lord leads. Y'all stand and sing it.